Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. If this broadcast sounds a little different, I'm doing it via Skype at uh, the present time. I thought it'd be very interesting to talk about the science versus the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is um, a, a topic, I guess, that uh, comes up particularly for scientists who believe in naturalism and don't believe in any supernatural uh, God or any supernatural events like miracles and so forth. Uh, to these scientists and, 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 and also particularly atheists, the, the concept of um, a resurrection is something, well, it's absolutely impossible and it's sort of just written off by them. And it was interesting, a few years ago, I watched a debate between uh, uh, professor John Lennox, who is a professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford, and Professor Richard Dawkins, who is a professor of um, zoology. Well, he was a professor of zoology at um, also at the University of Oxford. And it was a debate that was held in um, Alabama in the United States, and it was on the, the topic of the God delusion. And this uh, whole concept of uh, that Richard Dawkins claims that God was, uh, you know, that to believe in God, you, you're sort of deluded. And it was very interesting, as I remember watching this debate, to me it was very clear that Professor John Lennox, the mathematician and Christian who believed in God, had the upper hand all through the the debate. He was very clear, he was very calm. On the other hand, Dawkins seemed on, uh, to use the expression, on the back foot all the time. He was he seemed very nervous and, and um, defensive and, you know, he was making sort of, you know, very strong assertions without providing evidence, whereas in my view, uh, John Lennox's approach was very logical, very sound. But then right at the end, when they had to sum up, uh, John Lennox actually gave a, a testimony and he mentioned his faith in, the, in Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, of course, this is the evidence that God gave to us humans that he is real and that salvation is real. Um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was, well, to start with, Jesus was publicly put to death by Roman soldiers who were professionals. Um, they knew exactly how to make sure someone was dead. And... They were very experienced in this area. That was their job. And not only that, Jesus had suffered tremendous whippings and so forth and scourging before then. And uh, and he was, you know, nailed on the cross. It was a, a public death. And as well as that, he had a spear thrust through his side up into his heart. And so there was no doubt whatsoever that Jesus was dead in a sense that he was so badly injured that there was no possible way that his body could uh, 
naturally recover from this uh, horrendous treatment that he had. And yet he did. He was resurrected, made whole again, and walked around. And there were many witnesses to these, to this event. And those witnesses include some of the authors in the Bible, um, you know, Peter, um, James, John, for example, that wrote, and then, of course, people that were associated um, with, uh, with the apostles. And so we have eyewitness accounts, and there were many, many people that saw Jesus afterwards, like the, the women folk that went there to finish uh, uh, sort of the burial preparation and so forth, and, uh, you know, Mary Magdalene. And so these people... Um, spread the news, and it was a amazing news that they had there. And also, it fits the, you know, the plan of salvation. And then, of course, there were the disciples that saw Jesus ascend into to heaven. But we have that powerful evidence of the resurrection, which is so important for giving us hope that when we die here on earth that there is all will be a resurrection in the future, that there is a future to look forward to. And I think that's very important in the world today. Now, getting back to this particular debate between these two scientists, it was interesting that uh, Richard Dawkins responded to John Lennox's um, uh, testimony that he believed in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this was the important foundation of his belief. Uh, Dawkins um, re replied uh, as if he was amazed, and he uh, sort of um, gave the impression that he thought John Lennox was absolutely naive to believe in that. And, and I remember seeing um, Dawkins' face lit up and said something along the lines, so we come down to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's so petty, it's so trivial, it's so local, it's so earthbound, it's so unworthy of the universe. And he, he went on to rubbish uh, John Lennox for basing his belief on this effect. Now, essentially, when we really examine this, we see the Richard Dawkins view is saying we have a simple choice. Either we believe in miracles, things like Bible prophecy and so forth, or we believe in the scientific understanding of the laws of nature, uh, but not both. In fact, uh, Dawkins wrote um, in one of his books um, that the 19th century is the last time when it was possible for an educated person to admit to believing in miracles like the virgin birth without embarrassment. And this is Dawkins claiming this. And he claims, when pressed, many educated Christians today are too loyal to deny the virgin birth and the resurrection. But it embarrasses them because their rational minds know that it's absurd, so they would much rather not be asked. And... Um, of course, he'd probably feel the same about biblical prophecy as well. But the thing is, Dawkins has made this assertion, but it's not the case. We have people like John Lennox, myself, and many other Christians who are not embarrassed about this because there is so much evidence for the actual 
literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Christianity is a faith based on evidence. And it, the other evidence, of course, that goes with this are the, the prophecies, and in particular, of course, the, the prophecies of Daniel um, that unquestionably uh, were uh, written hundreds of years, centuries uh, before Christ was born, but predicted Christ's coming and the things that, that he would do there, predicted the uh, rise and fall of, of world empires from uh, Babylon on through to Rome and so forth. Um, and we, there is so much evidence of other miracles. And again, this points to the fact that the inspiration, the knowledge of these prophecies was given to people like, for example, Daniel, who was a counsellor to Nebuchadnezzar, the man who built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, that powerful Babylonian king that well established the Babylonian Empire at the time and uh, did, you know, built that amazing uh, city at that time. That this uh, man was a godly man, Daniel, the one that, as I said, the counsellor to Nebuchadnezzar, and God gave him these visions of the future. And one of the reasons is, of course, that God is outside time. Uh, and something that's very hard for us to, um, to understand. But, of course, many, uh, you know, scientists recognise that. Um, and also there are many rational scientists and highly educated scientists that see a connection between the God of the universe and understanding science. Um, of course, you know, the new, new atheists, um, uh, you know, keep pushing this naturalism, but they have to ignore the powerful evidence through prophecy, the literal resurrection, the observation and the historical witnesses to the resurrection of uh, Jesus at that time. And one of the other things that is very important to, to recognise with regard to uh, the resurrection is that we have this powerful evidence that it's God's desire to resurrect all the people who choose to be with him. And, uh, for example, we read in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 2, just the start of the last uh, chapter of the book of Daniel. But at, and it reads, But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So we have here, again, Daniel, who gave all these prophecies that were accurately fulfilled, God revealed to him that one day there was going to be a resurrection. Now, of course, this is in the, the context of um, the, those who were written in the, in the book, um, the book of life, those who in essence have chosen God. Uh, they want to be in God's kingdom. They've chosen Jesus, their saviour. They're recorded there. And, of course, those, I guess, who, who haven't, um, they're not recorded there. But um, it's interesting when we look at this phrase, many shall awake. And uh, 
This means the, the resurrection of their, their bodies. We will have a body. Now, so we have this text explicitly teaches a bodily re resurrection. And this is another area where clearly the Bible challenges the closed world of the naturalistic worldview. And this is very important because this is another aspect of the supernatural realm. Um, one of the uh, very things, important things is that prophecy, and the Bible has so many prophecies in it that have been fulfilled. Matter of fact, I have a, an encyclopedia of Bible prophecy published by Princeton University Press that... Uh, and I think from memory it deals with about 700 Bible prophecies. And most of the Bible prophecies have been accurately fulfilled and those that haven't have been either conditional or in the future. So we've got this overwhelming evidence of the supernatural, of the ability of, of uh, God to reveal the future accurately ahead of time. And, of course, in the book of Isaiah, God talks about how and, and points out to the people who are worshipping idols, look, you're worshipping these things that you've cut out, made yourselves out of stone and wood and so forth. But I'm the God and I can, you know, demonstrate that I'm the real God in that I will reveal the future to you. And one of this reveals around that God, the God that is the God of the Bible, spans history and so he, he spans the entire histories outside this. And so he can reveal the things that are going to happen. And that is the same God who will raise the dead. Now, one of the things is that we have to, I guess, realise here, when we look at the, the naturalistic worldview, when they look at our body, they see molecules and you know the different chemicals of the structures that make us up the fatty tissue the protein molecules and so forth and the different cells that make up our liver heart brain kidneys and muscles nerves and so forth and bones but what they don't realize is that these are all molecules most of these molecules are in a, in a state of motion and they're a state of flux and they're being replaced Matter of fact, on average, the average amount of our cells in our body is, is replaced every so often. It, it might be sort of every seven years or whatever it is, but every part of our body is, is being replaced. So it's not as if this is a fixed body. It's, it's replaced according to the code in our DNA, but it's in a state of flux and it's been, it's been continually replaced. And, of course, that's why we... We grow old because there is some errors in the replication from the DNA and that's why our facial features change and and so forth. So, you know, I think it's somewhere where total replacement occurs every, um, you know, everything in our body. But essentially, we remain the same and there's a pattern to us. And the important thing is that God knows that pattern. Now, God is not material. He's not limited by this material world of vibrating atoms with rotating electrons and so forth and force fields. And, and this is another thing we have to remember too, of course, that when you think about it, we're largely empty space. We, um, we, we feel solid, 
But that solid is just the interaction of force fields. And, you know, and I've mentioned this before, a very common force field is, is gravity. And if you jump up in the air from the ground, if you jump up, you're pulled back down quite strongly. But what is it pulls you down? It's, there's nothing there. There's nothing that grabs you. You just feel this pull. It's a very, very strong pull. Now, that's a force field. And, you know, we still sort of grapple to understand in a way what these fields are, but they interact. They cause interactions. And so, again, we are largely empty space filled with force fields between the components of the atoms and as the atoms bond together and are held together, again, by force fields. It's not as if they're, you know, mechanically linked together. In a sense, they have overlapping electrons, but these electrons are within particular fields, energy fields, force fields. And... One of the important aspects, when the when scientists limit themselves to this very, uh, you know, uh, naturalistic, materialistic worldview, one of the things that they uh, miss out is the fact that what constrains everything is information, is knowledge, and information is non-material. For example, if God holds this our pattern in his memory obviously he can reuse that pattern to refashion a resurrected body for us and we don't know what the you know how god is obviously going to do this but it's going to be a material body and one of the interesting things is of course that the mind our thoughts are non-material and I've talked about this before and this is again very important in this context because while we live in this mechanical body of ours who we are our thoughts are non-material and this is very important because our thoughts constitute information and the latest research in science is placing more and more emphasis on the role of information as we're understanding nature because nature is full of encoded information and we have to see that of course in in the dna um, and information of course it can be carried on a material substrate but information itself in actual fact is non-material so when i write on a a piece of paper uh, the recipe for making some bread or, you know, for a particular chemical reaction to make some compounds, and I can write down the formula. There's nothing to what I write on the piece of paper is made up of ink molecules and absorbed onto cellulose and so forth on the paper. But that can be interpreted again by my mind, which is totally different as information, and that information then can be used. I can then... Um, take the uh, particular flour, ground wheat, and I can mix with it so much yeast and water and a little bit of sugar and so forth and stir it in a particular way, leave it for a particular time and then heat it at, through a particular temperature cycle and, and make some bread or a cake, whatever. And so the information about how to do that, while it is stored on a material substrate, in itself is, is non-material. 
because the ink on the paper can't do anything. It can't do anything. And to somebody that doesn't know the language, it doesn't mean anything. So again, we can have some chemical formula, but for somebody who doesn't um, understand chemistry, it doesn't mean anything. The, the same if we have a, a triple integral solution, uh, sort of uh, providing information about some engineering problem, um, it doesn't mean anything to someone who has an advanced knowledge of calculus, for example. And so information is not therefore, is therefore, you know, not reducible to matter. And, and some physicists now are even suggesting that information is primary and matter is secondary. And this whole advance now in science is really coming back to what the Bible, especially when we read in John chapter 1 and 3, that in the beginning was the Word. So we have here that in the beginning there was essentially information. And so, um, you know, a neuroscientist can tell me what is in uh, my brain, <laughs> you know, in terms of the structure of the brain, but you can't tell what is in he or she the neuroscientists can't tell what is in your mind. So we have some very, very interesting um, stuff uh, coming out here. And um, this is one of the reasons why the idea of God being eternal, the information about us being eternal, and therefore God being able to recreate us in the, in the, in the uh, resurrection. It's very, very exciting um, area of, of science. I think um, the you know the area of the resurrection is is very important, and you know just recently um, I went to a funeral of a of a very good friend, a, a lady who was a particularly good friend of my wife, the same age as my wife, and it was um, you know a sad time because we really miss her. But she was a wonderful Christian woman with great faith in God. And I guess that gives us um, great um, hope. It gives that we know as Christians that it's not the end. And this is an important message to, to get out to the world and, and the young people. In, in fact, um, Paul, who had a personal experience with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and which and this experience was such that it turned him around from a person who was persecuting Christians and seeking to put an end to Christianity to become one of the greatest advocates of Christianity. And he writes in his letter to the Corinthians to encourage them, he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 24. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And so here we have this man, a highly educated Jew, he's writing it, in fact, it's a fact. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And this is very interesting because the, the term sleep really in English is a synonym for death. Um, and it's interesting, uh, my understanding is from reading that the word, English word cemetery simply means a place where people sleep. And so this English word itself bears witness to the biblical teaching. And so going on from what um, 
uh, rereading that again. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 20-24. Paul wrote, But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. So we have that um, just as sleep is temporarily, there will be awakening from death. And this gives us tremendous hope. This is just so real. And when that happens, that will be certainly the indication. Now, of course, the new atheists are constantly telling us that they are scientifically literate people who are prepared to follow evidence where it leads. However, they are refusing to take seriously the historical evidence, the overwhelming historical evidence for the existence of Jesus, let alone the evidence for his resurrection, and let alone the overwhelming evidence for um, fulfilled prophecy. And so um, I guess one of the important areas that we need to recognise is that we, we have this evidence from history, from witnesses, that the resurrection is real, that death is asleep until the resurrection. And those that choose Jesus will be resurrected to eternal life. And those who um, reject Jesus, not interested, will be resurrected to a judgment. It's um, a very, very sobering thought. But this is one of the reasons why reading the Bible and discovering the reality of God as just revealed in the Bible is just so important for each of us. I hope you found um, uh, today's talk um, encouraging. And if you'd like to read a little bit further, particularly in this area, uh, Professor John Lennox's book um, called Against the Flow, The Inspiration of Daniel in an Age of Relativism, has some very interesting insights, I think. And um, here we have a, a top uh, uh, mathematician, one of the world's top mathematicians, explaining why he believes in God and the literal resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ. Remember, too, uh, there's um, the other books uh, supporting the evidence for evolution, such as Evolution Impossible, and also the book In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation. And that book is available uh, free each chapter uh, by uh, googling creation.com and um, enter in the search button in six days and uh, that site will come up with the preface and the list of the, the 50 scientists down the side and you click on the name of each scientist and his argument for why he uh, rejects evolution and believes in creation, uh, which again is powerful evidence for the existence of our God. And remember, if you want to re-listen to this uh, program uh, or any of the earlier programs, just Google 
3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au, and then click on the listen button, and a number of different uh, radio programs will come up. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.